Three, two, one. <laughs> no, redo that. Testing, testing. No, we were laughing at you because Sean, we couldn't hear you say anything, and then suddenly it's like one. <laughs> oh, all, right. all right, hello and welcome to Out of Space Games, episode twenty-three. This is the uh, post Gencon, post Suicide Squad. So yeah, a ton of things to talk about. Let's just get right into it. My name is Jay. My name is Sean. I'm David. I'm Jared. And I'm Dean. (laughs) Yeah, a ton of stuff has happened, like I said. Uh, Gen Con is probably the biggest thing. A ton of things to recap there, and... We'll, we'll discuss Suicide Squad a little bit as well. You can tell we're not quite as excited about that movie um, as we were last podcast before we had seen it. So I was just telling the guys my, my Gen Con experience and, and my neighbors. So we're kind of excited. We're getting fiber around uh, where we live. Dean's like, hey, you know, you should get your neighbors around you to all request it so they, you know, expand the service. I'm like, No. <laughs> You don't know my neighbors. All right. So, the day at Gen Con, I went down with a couple of friends. They they come to my house. That's where we met and left from. And my neighbor across the street, he's like, so Mike gets out of his car. He's like, is, is that a pig in your neighbor's area? I'm like, no, they have a like really big, you know, fat bulldog. Maybe that's a, you know, <laughs> you know I kind of glanced at it. Right. <laughs> I, I run into my house, grab my bags, and I walk out. I'm like, holy shit, that's a pig. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> All right. And it walks across the street, basically, to us. And my neighbor, she's a little older, a um, little bigger, can't can't move as well. Anyways, she's like, <laughs> I think she's trying to get this pig, but she's like just walking very slow and like <laughs> saying, hey, come back here. And it walks up to us, and we like, not sure what to do. You know, with a dog, you would just like pet it. With a pig, you're like, should I eat you? <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, would you mind uh, carrying it back across the street? I'm like, <laughs> um, okay. So <laughs> I pick up this pig, and it's hard to describe what it feels like. Uh, very hairy, like human, all right? But very fat. Anyways, I'm carrying it across the street, and it starts to do this, like, if you ever held it like a toddler, and it just starts like shaking, like bucking its head back and forth, like, like crazy. All right, so I'm holding on to it, and then it starts squealing, like this super loud squealing, and like I didn't want to just drop it and like break its legs, right? That's what I wanted to do. It started squealing so loud, all the dogs in the neighborhood. Started barking. This is like seven o'clock in the morning, and I'm just like, "Oh my god, what the heck is happening?" So the second I get across the street, I just put it on the ground, and like it just starts running back away. And I'm like, "Okay, lady, you can deal with that." I don't know if I'll ever get the chance to do that again. But that was to carry a pig. Yeah, but have it squeal like that. Oh my god, it was like. Piercing, it was, it was ridiculous. Okay, that's how Gen Con started. 
And all of your neighbors are equally strange. So none of you went this year. Um, I think we're, we're planning on a, a bigger trip next year where we'll get as many of us to go. Um, yeah. What are you interested in hearing about? I don't know. Just start with like the atmosphere of it if for like people that have never been. Um, and then what was the I, neck, the neck beard count? Oh, it's, it's quite high. I mean, <laughs> it's how it's many tucked in shirt neck beards. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And jorts. <laughs> and jorts. Yeah. Um, all right. So no, the, the cool thing about Gen Ken is, is that there are so many uh, people, such a variety, you know, it's not as, I don't know, because Sean, you've been to like a comic convention, but if, if you've never been to it, it's, I mean, this is at the uh, Indianapolis Convention Center right next to um, Lucas Oil Stadium. But you have this, it was like 50,000 people, I think, is the uh, attendance rate. So you have this massive amount of people just convening together really to to play games and, and buy games. So I think the coolest part is that just this overwhelming enthusiasm for gaming. And every niche is kind of um, fulfilled, if you will. If you like the minis, if you like cards, and the the more casual games, all to your your hardcore, you know, fantasy flight stuff like that. People are there just to not only um, get their hands on the games first, but just to you know see what's new and out there too. There's a ton of people just developing or, or brand new publishers or. They had a successful Kickstarter and are there just to meet some of the folks and stuff. So, I don't know, really cool atmosphere, but it is overwhelming, I guess, too. Like, <clears throat> they expanded the vendor hall, which you'll probably spend a lot of time there. And because the vendor hall is also where they're doing demos and stuff, it's like, play this demo, you can buy it right here, or it might just be a small booth. Uh, you get this massive book, massive book that's like an inch thick of, of just of all the events you have throughout the weekend, and that's like mm. half of the ones that are listed. If that makes sense. So, like some of the, like the bigger conventions that are um, like the comic ones, they have like massive lines and stuff where you have to sit in line for stuff. You, did you have to wait in line for anything like any popular panels or anything? Panels? I don't go to any <laughs> that are like that. I guess um, so. I went first to the um, Modifius booth because they had teased, you know, the Star Trek RPG. This uh, this RPG is coming early next year, I believe. And they had made it sound like you could sign up and play test the Star Trek RPG this weekend at Gen Con. They're like, you know, come here. We're doing signups every day, stuff like that. So it's the first place I went. And it's like, well, actually, they just had iPads set up and you would type in your email. And then in October, they'll send you like a play test kit. So kind of bummed because yeah. I, I really wanted to, you know, <clears throat> try it out. But I was able to talk to Chris Birch. He is, if you're signed up on their mailing list, he's the one that does all that stuff. Um, he was there. We were trying to pick his brain a couple things, what he could reveal. With this new Star Trek RPG, it's based on their 2D20 system, um, which they used for Conan and uh, I think Warzone Resurrection and a few other games. The GM for the game is basically the captain of the ship. But like the introductory scenario, if you're going to start everyone at the same page, you're basically all ensigns on an away mission and things start happening beyond your, your obviously menial tasks and stuff and you'll encounter different things. But it's really designed uh, with campaign play in mind 
not just like leveling up and stuff like that, but gaining experience and learning, really kind of creating your your ship's environment and stuff like that. I couldn't really pry any information about ship-to-ship combat. It was, I think they're still working on it, and I don't know if they wanted to reveal a ton, but there's definitely um, role-playing elements of that, and you'll be manning your stations and stuff like that. Was there a lot of people, like, signing up? Like, there weren't lines for it, if that's what you're asking. They did give away uh, Star Trek. They gave away miniatures, one of, you could choose between Picard or Kirk. We did post that on our Facebook page, if you want to see, but the detail on them is uh, really, really good. Whoever is producing their miniatures. They came in a bag that looks exactly like the bag that my AVP stuff came in. Protos, who does AVP, does Warzone, so I don't know if there is a connection there. They might use the same factory or something. Yeah, we'll see. When I walk around Gen Con, there's, there's a million things that you can do. So... There's panels, there's vendors, there's a basically a demo hall. So, And the whole floor is basically all just tables set up. You know, people are playing, they have, this is where they have tournaments, but it's also to playtest new games. You can sign up for a demo of a game. Basically, and those are running all weekend, even after the vendor hall closes and stuff. So, And then there are the panels, there are a whole bunch of nearby hotels and stuff. There's like a 24-hour film festival that's going on throughout the whole weekend. There's an anime festival. So if all you wanted to go do is, is watch films, I guess, at this film festival, that's that's what you could do or watch anime the whole time. Um, I'm sure there are people that do that. Um, there's also, you know, cosplayers and things like that. But it's almost hard to do everything. So you, you do have to pick and choose um, what you end up doing. Because there are even um, rooms off that are in the convention center off the main uh, hall. So like the Cards Against Humanity people, they were doing Secret Hitler and Cards Against Humanity in that room. And this is, I'm trying to describe the size to you, but you know, like a hotel conference room size. So it's not like this mm-hmm. tiny thing, but quite quite a large area. That's what our upper deck, they were doing um, like legendary tournaments and, and stuff like that. So as I'm walking around, I don't know. Some people like to demo games. I I don't really like to. I feel like I, I get more of an experience when I'm almost watching other people play. It gives me a, a more of kind of a an overview of it rather than like focusing on the minutiae of, of what I'm trying to do. But what you know, I'm a sucker for I don't want to say like gimmicks, but kind of. You like miniatures. Yeah. Oh, here, let me post um is that to go with your uh, love for Natural Libre? Yeah, man. I'm doing the fan <laughs> the fan fiction version of it. All right, so <clears throat> this game was actually a, a Kickstarter project. Um, so it's called Viva Luchador. You should definitely check out pictures of it. Like I said, it was a Kickstarter project, and it was on my radar at the time, but I was like, oh, it's a dice game. Eh. I'll pass, you know. So it's really cool, and I, I knew it was going to be quality because – they put so much time into designing this ring. It's like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, 
if you're gonna make that part of it, which it doesn't really do anything, it just is there for looks. So if they're gonna put so much time into <laughs> developing this piece of the game that really has no bearing on the game, then the game has to be good. Anyway, that's the, that's the way I think. So yeah, I sat down and played it with Mike. Um, it's not yeah like a strategic game. It's a very much a beer and pretzels get together with a couple of guys and you sit down and play this wrestling game. What's cool about it, you can play up to, I think, eight players. And there's different modes, like tag team mode. But a lot of it is is rolling like at the same time. So the, the only thing that the ring does is if your dice falls out, basically you lose that action. So each player, you roll four dice. If they all land within the ring, you get different effects, but you roll them at the same time. And then depending on what you roll, you'll do damage and stuff. There's a, there's a tracker for damage. And with the advanced game, you have special moves and stuff that you can perform. And depending on your results, you'll roll a special dice for special moves, or you you can um, have a chance to pin them after they get under a certain amount of health. So, I don't know. The game was a ton of fun. There was always people lined up looking at it just because it, it captured your attention. The standees and stuff, they actually are there just for looks. I don't know. I, I think it added so much flavor to it. The other picture I posted uh, after... That. So you can flip it all upside down and you like drop it down and it turns into this cage match fighting and then you have different rules and stuff for that. What I liked about it besides its approachability is the fact that you could kind of expand it in so many ways. It sounded like there was there was rules for, or he said there was rules, yeah, for the cage match. When you do the tag team, you actually have to like tag them in or if you're if you're playing with three different teams, tagging a person of a different team and they have to come back in and fight and stuff. So it's not um, like Escape Space Cadets where you're constantly rolling dice as much as you can. But there is that, there's the chaos of the dice, but you do, you do get that break in between. Is there a character named Nacho in there? No, unfortunately not. <laughs> like I'm saying, I can make that whole fan, that whole fan expansion. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, you know what? I, this reminds me. I was <laughs> I was uh, clearing room on some old uh, hard drives, and I found... So when that movie came out, Nacho Libre, which is an excellent film if you haven't watched it. And a yeah. great soundtrack, too. They released the Flash game, which was, like, absolutely ridiculous. But I saved, like, the files of it, I think. And so, yeah, I can play that Nacho Libre game. Nice. Yeah. You do moves and stuff, like the Anaconda Squeeze. Anaconda can you baptize steven oh man i wish <laughs> i believe in science hey man okay talk about dream licenses let's do it right <laughs> well because as soon as i saw it i don't know i think it'd be fun to make a, a wrestling game like kind of miniatures kind of cards you know um like a really kind of obscure license for wrestling would be like Saturday Night Slam Masters from Capcom, which, <clears throat> Jared, you can Google it. <laughs> I already have. I know, because I, I told you about it. But anyways. Um, you have. Nacho Libre. I'm a little concerned right now about your salvation and stuff. How come you have not been baptized? I don't know why you always have to be judging me, because I only believe in science. But tonight, I just thought it would be a good idea if you... Alright, so what other um, cool little booths or games did you get to 
get to check out or were you looking for forward to and then got to see? Uh, well, when I was walking around, I did I stumbled upon Tuesday Night Games. They made uh, two rooms and a boom, which was a Kickstarter from last year, and I never received my package actually. Even though Amazon shows that I had I had gotten it, so I, I had emailed the guy, you know, a couple times back and forth. His name is Sean McCoy. Well, I, I basically walked up. I was like, "Hey, I'm a I'm a Kickstarter backer. Anyway, you have a Gen Con badge. It has your name on it." And he re- he actually recognized my name. He was like, "Oh, I owe you a game," and he gives me the game. I'm like, "Oh, cool." Hey. <laughs> no, but it, it was it was nice just that he he recognized my name. You know what I mean? Um, because I didn't give him any prompting beyond that. I didn't say, hey, I never got my game. I was actually prepared to like buy it because <laughs> Amazon did say they, Amazon was the uh, shipping service. Oh. Uh, you know? Boo. And it might have been, I really have no idea what happened to it though. No, so I have that, but they're, they're really nice guys. Um, a few of them actually live in Ann Arbor, but nice guys working on a new game and stuff like that. Just to see where it, they started, I guess, with with their Kickstarter and, and the success they've had. So they're on their second edition of uh, Two Rooms and a Boom. They've just tweaked some things, both in the manufacturing and in, in the actual game. And that was really cool to see. So one of the games I didn't actually realize was at Gen Con is Sharknado. Yeah. Yeah, well, we briefly mentioned this. Uh, the Kickstarter is going on. <laughs> Right now, it'll probably be over by the time we publish this. Um, this is being designed by Devious Devices, um, Anthony and Eric. They were both there, demoing the game. Like I said, I, I didn't know about it early enough. And I did stop in one of the sessions on Sunday morning. So were they showing Sharknado, the fourth Awakens or whatever, across the street at the film festival? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I'm kicking myself for not recording because I had a great conversation with, with Eric. You know, I was kind of like, uh, how do you get the license for a game like this? And he gave me this awesome, really elaborate, but entertaining story about how they picked up the license. I don't want to share it all right now because I'm hoping to. Does it involve like dark alley and unzipping of pants? Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, God, that's exactly how it yeah, happened. Really painting the picture there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In your fanfic world. And then. <laughs> no, but. Uh... <laughs> but like I told them, and, and I mentioned the podcast, how do you make, how do you make this game work? And uh, with the Kickstarter, even right now, I think it's having a little bit of that problem. It's not the smashing success because people who are seeing it almost have the same reaction as they do to the movie. Like, oh my God, it's that movie. Or, oh my God, it's th- it's that game. And people who are fans of it, of course, are, are wholeheartedly behind it. But so many people are like, well, it's based on a bad movie. How, how is this a good game? What I can tell you about the game, it is cooperative with a whole bunch of different scenarios, basically reenacting different plots in the movies, but a lot more things than that. Like each game you have uh, different objectives might just be to escape, to get to this location. It might be to rescue a few bystanders, collect whatever, find the bomb, get to the chopper and, and do these, you know, throw it in the Sharknado. All right. They don't have any of the licensed characters from the movie. Um, these are kind of all original characters. Now there's an awesome shark, Sharknado mini, um, that 
because that's one of the first questions they ask is that a stretch goal or is that in the game and they're like no that's that's going to be in the game um hmm. it's really cool it almost i don't know just imagine a sharknado and then <laughs> imagine a miniature of it uh, but there's actually a divot at the top of it because as it moves around it can carry more sharks in it which you'll put inside of it and then spread them to more areas and stuff like that so hmm. um right now they're i think they're about uh 50, halfway to their goal with about two weeks to go i'm not sure if they're gonna quite make it um yeah they need to get more social media presence oh and okay i'm just opening up the page right now yeah if they had like actual photographs of real people instead of just illustrations like you know stuff from the actual pictures from the movie i think that would have been a lot better yeah, so I don't know if that was a if a licensing thing. They didn't work it out with actors. Uh, Sci-fi really is not into the whole board gaming scene. They know it's big, so it's kind of what helped them get the license as well. But I don't know. I did hear good feedback from the people you know I, I was talking to who are playing the game and everything. And you can watch a demo of the game and stuff. But they're really nice folks, definitely passionate about their game, and check out the Kickstarter, support it uh, if you think it's something for you. I, I'm i a supporter right now, I want to see, obviously, if, if they fund and everything. But I, I think a co-op game is, it's something that we tend to enjoy, uh, our group anyway, so, yeah. Any questions about? Well, did you go on any panels that, yeah. that were like, um... I was able to uh, attend Chaosium's, um... Two of their panels, one for Call of Cthulhu 7th edition and for what's called their Cult of Chaos, which is kind of their mm, their organized play supporters. Basically, the keepers who are out there who are helping them promote their brand and running games and stuff like that. So those are more news, I guess. I mean, there were time for Q&A. People had questions and stuff. You can, if you haven't already, uh, listen to the audio on our podcast feed, and we have the video of it on our YouTube channel, yeah, Out of Space Games. But I think the biggest news that I'm excited about coming out of that... Well, two things. Okay. So one, Sandy Peterson was there. So one of the new products they're developing is... He oftentimes runs Call of Cthulhu one-shots, but there's a collection of scenarios that he wrote. The first one was published for free RPG day called The Derelict, and now... They are collecting some of the other ones, putting it together and stuff. Some other things, it sounds like all the books going forward are going to be published in hardcover form. Oh, nice. Yep. And when you purchase a physical copy, you'll get the PDF version with it as well. That's nice. Yeah. Um, Which almost feels like that's how it should be anyway. But for the longest time, it was like, buy the hardcover for 50 bucks and then pay us another 25 for... The PDF version. It's like, what? It doesn't make any sense, but I, I think they're doing some good things. And you can tell this is... I think we've we've covered the drama of Chaosium, where they basically almost went bankrupt and then were bailed out by uh, Moon Design Publishing. And some of those guys have really uh, set them on the right course and stuff. The other big thing they were talking about is Pulp Cthulhu. Pulp Cthulhu... Um, I think I'm slowly incorporating that into our horror on the Orient Express actual play 
scenario more and more just because like the way you guys have have played your characters you're kind of like um what's the word assholes (laughs) 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 no but you 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 know you roll up on people and you're automatically very aggressive and stuff and it's like the game if you were to follow it to a t almost punishes that in some ways, especially if you're coming up against like mythos creatures and stuff. But what Pulp Cthulhu essentially has turned it into is, is to make it more the characters or the investigators, for instance, are referred to as heroes and stuff. There's this different mentality where you feel a little tougher, like you can take on things. Um, and I, I think we're, I've been trying to find that balance. So it's like, still make it believable in the horror that is there from the atmosphere and the setting and, and the, perceived danger but at the same time it's not like oh we're gonna witness something and then faint like lovecraftian characters do you know in his stories so that you can um throw a good punch and and hang in there for a little bit but keep it exciting but with pulp cthulhu they are writing an actual campaign for that that spans around the globe and everything so i don't know seems seems interesting and i'm glad it's not like here's a source book we leave you to adapt all your own scenarios to that but now here's a published thing jay why don't you talk about doing the the one chef oh yeah for ks yeah yeah so i the reason i actually don't have more to to say about um all the games I, i i played is i wasn't able to as much so at the cult of chaos at that panel, basically at the end of it, they said, hey, we need some folks to run events for us. They were running an event called the Cthulhu 500, which basically nonstop Cthulhu games throughout the entire weekend. So they had even one starting at midnight, you know. And this was a scenario that would just run two hours. Anyways, I was there. And when the, when Todd made the announcement, basically nobody was listening, and I, except for me, because I was standing right next to him. <laughs> um, so I was like... uh yeah, I'll, sure, I'll do it. So he sends me this stuff, and then suddenly I'm running um, two sessions of it the next day. So this scenario called the Dead Border, I don't want to spoil what happens in it, but it is designed for like a brand new player to Cthulhu, and maybe even to RPGs. So if you've never played an RPG, never played Cthulhu, this would be a perfect way for you to get into it very quickly. Like one to two hours is, is almost nothing. In terms of RPG, even for a one-shot. So, teaching them skill roles, how everything works. And really, even if they have played Cthulhu before, it's teaching them the um, the changes that have come in 7th edition. So, this scenario basically takes place all, all in one location. And it runs up to six players. And for the first session, you know, I had a full session. And it's like, sometimes in RPGs... How should I say it? Alright, let's say... You're following the thread of one or one or two people. They like, oh, I want to go do this. I want to go do that. And then me as the keeper, I'm like, okay, you find this, you find that. But everyone's hearing the information, you know what I'm saying? So there's almost no like personal, this is my information for myself. It's like everybody has that same information to work with. So there was a lot of things to do. And each person had their own motivation for each investigator had their own motivation for being in this scenario. So. What ended up happening was I started writing notes, um, and they even recommend, you know, write a note. But what it did 
the players would start to write notes back to me when I'm talking to someone else. I'm like, oh, crap. And what it turned into is I was juggling basically two to three threads uh, at the same time with six players. So two of them would be involved here and another two over here and, and two over here. But what it turned into, everyone kind of played it out differently then. Because your information really was your own, and, and until you shared it, if you decided to, I don't know. I, I feel like it it made you buy in more into your character. So, for example, there's this lockbox in a closet, and in there you can find some money. And in one of the scenarios, or in, in one of the sessions I ran, the thief got paired up with the nosy neighbor, and uh, <laughs> they found the money, and they didn't tell the cop and the bookkeeper, basically. They were kind of at odds with each other the whole time. And it was pretty funny. And um, <clears throat> so they basically just handed it off to each other and pocketed the money. And then they were trying to sneak a gun out, too. <laughs> um, but they failed on the roll. So it basically ends up dropping, and the cop looks over, and it ends up turning into um, in this crazy situation because then the cop goes into, like, question mode and, you know, trying to figure out, what else they found, but, you know, they're not giving up the money. So it, it turned into, um, I guess, a, a whole bunch of situations. And at first, it, it kind of split the group because the, the cop character uh, or the cop player w- was playing his investigator, I guess, a little more sternly, which was fine. But it, it was, I don't know, it was kind of aggressive, if that makes sense. A lot of times you, you guys will be like, oh, let's all do this together. Or you make a decision, talk about it, you do it. In this scenario, it was purely everyone has their own mission, and they're trying to accomplish just that, and they don't really care what everyone else is doing. So then the moment where everyone came together, I think it was like, wow, this is how everyone, like one person shared a bit of information they had found, and someone was like, okay, that makes this make more sense. This is what I learned. And then someone's like, okay, this is what I learned, and so on and so forth. And I think we, we got a little bit of that the last time we were in Lausanne, you know? Dean, I had you read like out of that diary, you know, and Sean, you were, you were, you were finding, you found the bottle and then Dean was like, oh, I know what's going on. And you were all finding different parts of this to to put it together. And if you listen back to the playback and maybe it wasn't this for you when you were playing it, but in my head, it was, it was like almost chaotic. Like I was trying to say, you do this, you do this, you do this as fast as I could so that you couldn't really pay attention to what I was telling the next person. So that you, you would just be focused on, on what you're doing, either trying to make a role or something. So that each one of you would get this unique amount of information. So it's not just, I told you, you, f- you found all these things, and it's easy for you to make this connection, but you're almost doing it in real time, if that makes sense. But Jared, you um, had the opportunity to also... Yeah, you sent me the the files. I um I was at a a, a wedding that was pretty casual, and then at a had the night before had a, a kind of a oh, pretty casual um, at the head table. Event. We were just <laughs> yeah yeah no straight up at, at dinner. No, uh, the night before the wedding, we had just some downtime, and a lot of people were at the, the same location. So I, I ran the same scenario um, for five people. It, it was real interesting. It was the first time I had ran a scenario off my iPad as opposed to the book. 
I think in the future, I'll definitely stick to the book. Okay, Grandpa. I, I don't know. I think with the iPad, it was kind of tough. Like, well, it was tough like to scroll through <laughs> and like find exactly where I wanted like to show people. Yeah. Whereas I think the book's a little bit more conducive for that. Yeah, Jay's wearing a hat. That's what I was trying to do earlier. <laughs> Why can't um, you get to work? I don't know because I, I clicked something and it popped up like the moderator will this, and I'm like, oh, shit, Jay's gonna find out. Um, so, um, yeah, I ended up running it for for five people, four of whom are, are pretty, you know, experienced D and D players, but I never played Cthulhu, <laughs> and um, and then Nika, who had played um, Cthulhu before, before, but I never played. D&D. So it was really interesting in the fact that, well, first off, the police officer tried to limit like everyone else from coming mm-hmm. into the room. Yeah. Like immediately. Yep. So I had to deal with like them doing persuasion roles or intimidation roles against the police officer to even like start the scenario. Okay. And then I had a few that didn't, that wouldn't even go in. Hmm. So I kind of had to get them like, <laughs> I had to kind of force them into the room. Then Did once they, they have were- character sheets in front of them? They had character sheets, but they were still kind of, like, hesitant. Okay. Um, did so, it have the backside? Yeah, it did. It had, like, their justification. Okay. And I and I reminded them of, like, that their reasonings. But then once they got into the room, they, like, immediately went to where, like, the triggers were for the scenario. So everything started happening really quick. And what it... I think when when we do Cthulhu, um, we, we work a lot more, like, in a group... Like, we make group decisions about what we're going to do. Um, this was the first time that I had experienced, like, five different people wanting to do <laughs> five different things at the same time and trying to, you know, figure out who to respond to at what time. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm waiting for a d- to appear on my forehead. <laughs> um, no, I mean, that's almost what I was talking about, you know, Um it's tough to do because I, I think it does lend to the atmosphere if you can juggle those things at once. So I had the same issue with both sessions. The cop came in and was like, okay, everyone stay back. I'm going to examine everything like that. So after f- filling the roles or whatever, I almost, I was like, if you're focused on this, what are you doing? And because <laughs> of. <laughs> because I have, um, I had physical things. I would be like, hey, I would give it to the cop and be like, this is what you found. Or I would write a note and say, this is what you found. And then while he's reading that, I would turn to the other folks. Okay, he's okay, busy so right now. What are you doing? To like kind of delay them. Almost, you know, because you, you have to imagine like in a real scenario, I was, I was trying to get the cop to understand you're, you're telling him to do this, but you're I said, okay, in order to examine the body closer or whatever, you have to walk to the other side. So you're not standing right, next right. to the door. So there's really no physical way for you to stop them. And I had the, I don't know what it was, the nosy neighbor, wh- whoever I had um, playing that with both sessions, they were both very good at role playing. So they, they kind of pushed their way in, you know what I'm saying? So the cop right, is yeah. there and they're like, I'm going to go straight for the closet or look in the drawer and, and see what I can find while he's busy. So I think that, got everyone into the room but you can continue i guess with your well i, I think i think it was a fun scenario um all, all the, the everyone that played it they, they enjoyed it and they uh i think they were interested in kind of the differences between 
D and D and Cthulhu. Um, it was a it was a nice scenario because I think it incorporated a lot of what Cthulhu has to offer. You know, in the investigation sense, the insanity sense, combat. Um, it it kind of encompassed everything. Um, it didn't have very much like interaction between like NPCs, but other than that, like I, I thought it was a really good like. You know, you have to search for hidden things and clues, and you don't read that's in a different language. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's a, a really good one shot to you know introduce people to the game. Yeah. Well, and just to comment a little more about, um, so your investigators basically figured out where they were supposed to go, or th- that was the first thing they wanted to do. So yeah, like they immediately went for it, and then they found like you know the the piece the the things that led them to the next steps like yeah within probably 10 minutes of getting into like starting this an area so something you can do in the future just change the location you know of right of where that is so that it's like as long as you're keeping track of things in your head so that there's still um i think there's a balance you don't want it to be you know when you play a, a point and click adventure you know that after you've clicked every single thing you've, you've found everything that you could find you know right you don't want did to make you, it. Go ahead. Did you give them like a map of the room? Yeah, like on the on the very back that last page. Yeah, you printed that off. Yep. Okay. And I just set it down so they could see, you know. And it, it also helped me like position them. Like this is where you are. This this is what's happening when some of the crazy right, yeah. stuff went down. Like yeah, I I think it would have been helpful if I would have done that because I think there was this couple opportunities because they were like, "Where am I in the room?" Um, and I kind of had to give them like a general like description instead of yeah, showing them the picture for sure. And, and part of that's just, I, I don't know what resources you had in terms of printing out and, and getting that stuff, but, and then using the NPC. So there's a, there is another neighbor who in the scenario, um, it recommends you can, you can ask this neighbor for more information. And I kind of had her just show up and kind of like peek her head in, you know, you have okay. six people I'm making like- noise in there. And I would give her, or I'd give them the information that she had, but I almost left her there, and they kind of naturally forget about her as things start happening. Right. So if I needed more time, I would then suddenly bring the attention back, like, she's not there anymore. Mm-hmm. To give them, like, something else to have to think yeah, about. Yeah, then they have to go find her, and then she's not connected in any way into, to the actual situation that's happening but i set it up so that you could it's easy to to have her be the the main person and then the body be the the fall guy you know what i mean right yeah that's a good idea and stuff like that just to extend it or or change the location but really i didn't need to do that in any of the sessions so she kind of they basically just forgot of her and she kind of just faded away from (laughs) the scenario nice yeah so no I'm, i'm glad you had a chance to run it to uh i don't know i it's so fun i think watching players like kind of figure figure it out yeah exactly yeah Yeah, and piece the things together so it was kind of interesting once once my guys got into combat since they never found any of the other weapons they kept on trying to steal the pistol from the police (laughs) officer (laughs) so i like i kept on doing like strength rolls to like have them like try to rip the gun away that was pretty interesting. Yeah. So anyone anyone die or go crazy? Or? Yeah. Uh, I had one go insane for a little bit. 
But then I, I kind of I didn't want him to have to sit. He went insane right at the beginning of combat. Okay. Um, I, I didn't want to make him sit through, um, like the entire combat round. So I had him like come back after four rounds. Oh, one okay. thing I wasn't clear on, and I didn't yeah. have my keeper book. How much luck can they burn to push? As much as they want. Like if they want to burn like twenty five luck. Yeah. I mean, yeah. with a one shot, it it doesn't hurt you as much, you right? Know? And that's that was one thing is they did that a couple of times. They burned like a shit ton of luck. And I'm like, according to what I know, that's like within the rules, as long as you give me a good explanation on what would be your push. Yeah. Like, well, so to make it mean something, I would almost like then the next time they had to roll for something, almost make it a luck roll. Ah, okay. You know what I'm saying? Because then it's yeah. like you're being punished for burning that much luck, you know? Just to make it more difficult, if it, if if it's a situation where it can apply, yeah, I had I had some temporary insanity, and I definitely had a um, pretty gruesome death second time around. I'm not exactly yeah, my my characters; they were pretty, they were doing pretty good damage against him, so I kind of had to tweak his uh, like attack and his his damage output. But yeah, I definitely he I had him kill one guy, and he got another guy pretty good, but they were able to to kill him before too long. So. One thing I did tell Jared before it started, you should you should kill someone. Like, oh, it says to even in this like when you're reading through the beginning of the yeah. scenario, it's almost something that people expect to go crazy or or to be killed in Cthulhu. And I think because we're running this long campaign, it's not like at the end of each session I want someone to be dead. You know, that would be <laughs> almost pointless at that point. So. Hopefully, we didn't spoil too much about it. If you get a chance to play the scenario, I believe there. Going to be using it at other events because it's kind of quick and a good introduction to the game. So if you've never played it, it's, it's an awesome time to start or an awesome way to start. And hopefully you have a keeper who can continue to make things interesting and keep your attention. So something I, I promised on the last podcast was that we would talk about Suicide Squad because we had uh, we talked about all these trailers and I said, yeah, we talk about all these trailers and then we don't talk about them when the movie actually comes out. And I said we would actually talk about Suicide Squad. So that's why we're doing it. Yeah. I saw it for free. <laughs> what? Yeah, because we're on T-Mobile and every Tuesday they give out... Oh like yeah, digital coupons, and they gave out a f- free ticket for Suicide Squad. Yeah, I wish I used that. it. So, all right, Suicide Squad was originally a comic series that was published uh, in the late eighties, nineteen eighty-seven. Ran for a couple years there, and has popped up here and there in different comics and other media, like their cartoons and TV shows, even most recently in this new movie. The idea behind the i guess original series so john ostrander and some of the other creators are like you know we have all these villains that 
our characters have been fighting throughout the years and like so they're sent to prison and then what happens to them do they kind of rot you know or they why do they keep getting out sometimes they break out but why why do we lock up these prisoners and then just let them go free because they're like well it would make sense that they were basically like let's take these unknown throwaway characters that appeared like maybe in one issue of a comic 20 years ago combine them all into a team of people that uh, are basically expendable that we can kill and send them on high stakes government secret op missions so that it doesn't matter if they are killed and it explains these things and because they're not well-known characters anyway there's really no stakes involved so that was the idea behind it and then um yeah they made this movie I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they hired David Ayer, who did Fury and some other indie films. Um, uh, end of End of Watch. End of Watch. He end wrote. Watch, yeah, he yeah. wrote End of Watch. He wrote a lot of things, but he hasn't directed. He wrote much. Training Day too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they um, they plucked him. The, he shot a movie, <laughs> and then they reshot the hell out of it because Zack Snyder's were too dark, so they're gonna mess with David Ayer's film because of Zack Snyder's faults and then we got this movie which um there's there's more to it than that yeah Um, there's more to it than that but it sounded like he started out with something and then studio hands got into the mix and what came out was a little different so i guess the history behind the movie so we all remember that comic-con trailer that came out last year with um bohemian rhapsody Mm -hmm. okay so that trailer came out and um, it was very well received. People are like, wow, uh, looks like it's it's funny. It's like this dark uh, comedy action thing, right? Which I guess wasn't how the movie was. So they got the company that cut the trailer to edit the actual movie. So if you're watching the movie and you feel like, man, this is like watching a trailer for the first half hour. Yeah, basically, that's what they screened. They screened the David Ayer cut, and then this new trailer company cut, and the the stupid test audience liked the trailer company cut. Yeah, and the reshoot. There were rumors that the reshoots were done to add more comedic elements and stuff into it. So it feels, I don't know. I know we're gonna bash the heck out of it. Like, okay, so Dave, you've you've read Suicide Squad, uh, that that first run of it. Yeah. So. I know you haven't seen the movie, but like what you enjoyed it, the the comics? Yeah, I thought the comics were really good. All right. And so how would you like, I guess, summarize or describe why? Why they're good? Yeah. Because <laughs> it's, it's a tricky one. You know what I mean? I mean, I think you touched on it in the beginning. Like what if there's just, what if you just chose a bunch of characters who are completely expendable, hence the name, and then sent them out on missions with somebody who basically didn't care whether they lived or died, but only cared about whether they completed the mission and how would that look? And I, I don't know. I like that idea. I don't know. You, you, there's more danger to it. There's more unpredictability to it because these people don't necessarily have to come back every time. And in doing that, they can spend time actually focusing on their personality somewhat, especially Deadshot in particular. And just, I don't know kind of how they work together i guess it is hard to explain it's darker but it's still fun you know just the more i talk about it 
the more depressed I'm getting as I think yeah. about me eventually seeing the movie and how they screwed it up. But well, I feel like one of the shortfalls of the movie, and and there are quite a few, is that they don't because it's such a mishmash of things. It's like they almost don't go all the way into do we want this dark or funny, or do we want like these are bad guys and they do some bad things, but it's almost like they also hold back at the same time. Yeah, it's called PG thirteen. <laughs> yeah, like it felt like they were um banking on the popularity of the comics or like the notoriety of whatever. It was more like they, they were um hoping that the name would carry enough of it and then they didn't have to like fill out the finer details of the character development and the story. Yeah. It almost seems like they were banking on like they were using Will Smith, Harley Quinn, and the Joker. I think that's what they were banking on because it was like unknown comic characters and stuff like that. And um, Will Smith is, he's actually good in the movie. Um, he's playing himself like usual, but yeah, for right. a movie that had no finished script when they started filming. He was actually one of the better elements of the movie. Yeah, but his his backstory is just I don't know. I've never liked. I, I feel like them. It worked better in the comics. So Floyd Law and Deadshot in in the comics, he's just psychopath. Yeah, and he's he's not that in this. I don't feel he's the family man in this one, and it's oh. like what you like. That's yeah. that's why. No, I don't know. Like obviously, just from what you're saying, it just. <laughs> Like one of the uh, some of the appeal of Suicide Squad is that they're villains, like they're bad people. Yeah. Like you don't have to; they don't act like heroes. So, like they're they're evil people who have been forced to do something good, and that's the dynamic, you know. And making them good, like I don't really have anything against Will Smith, but the minute I heard he was Deadshot, it's like, oh, so this is going to be a redeemable character in some way. And yeah. Deadshot really isn't a redeemable character. No, he's, he's a psychopathic depressive who is forced to do this, and he just kind of wants to die all the time, you know. Yeah. So he, yeah, he basically has a death wish, yeah. and he's just good at killing. So that's what what he does. That's um, what he does. It's like they're trying to get the audience to sympathize with people who are or doing horrible criminals. things. And yeah. they're doing yeah. horrible things throughout the movie. And it's weird because when you're reading the comic, you're not rooting for the characters because you're like... Well, the thing is, they're not even doing horrible things in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I feel like they started off with uh, setting the premise that these are villains and criminals. And then they try to make it into a superhero movie where they end up... Yeah saving the day in doing the right thing they even talk about it in the bar scene you know like yeah we're deciding to oh, go yeah. through with it I, want to start that. I read some of the comics and i have an you know a pretty good gist of what it's about but i feel like they just they didn't quite capture the essence of the suicide squad that they're focusing on villains it's not another superhero comic book movie it's a very very particular kind of comic book movie or should have been i mean well, they were probably using Guardians of the Galaxy as mm-hmm. their kind of yeah. um, prototype or whatever. And Guardians of the Galaxy, they're not necessarily heroes. They're, I mean, not anti-heroes, but, you know, they're not 
they're not they're like villains, you know. They're criminals, yeah, but like, not villains. It's yeah. that's like if you were to call Han Solo a villain, that's that's Guardians there of the Galaxy, go. right? Yeah, Han Solo is clearly not. He's not a hero. He's not definitely not a. villain. He's just a criminal. Yeah. See, Star Wars can be useful. Um. <laughs> <laughs> For my wrongs, I have just begun. Ain't, ain't no mercy. Ain't, ain't no mercy. No, uh, the only like the look of, of the movie was fine. I was fine with the the costumes and even Killer Croc. Well, he's whatever. His head looks really big. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was really big. The only person I liked was Amanda Waller. Oh, good. She is the wall. That was her nickname in the, mm. in, in the comics, and she's just yeah. And she does; she probably does the most. She's, yeah, she's worse than all of them. Shocking thing, you know. But it really sells you on her character, and I, I feel like like that moment for her. We're not spoiling this because Jared and Dave haven't watched it, but that that moment for her, it's kind of jarring, but it completely sells. I don't know her ideology and. and in her thinking. And I don't think they gave you that with any of these other characters. It was like, nope. sure, we'll show you their abilities and their, in their rap sheet, but like, it's like almost like they were afraid to take the risk of showing their true character with the other ones. Yeah. And the stakes were almost, uh, it, it's again, the stakes are too high, right? Let's take the character of, uh, Captain Boomerang, for example. I like them. <laughs> now I don't, yeah, but okay. If you were, if you were to say, I'm going to be assembling, this task force of highly like trained operatives to carry out this this super skill intensive mission. I'm gonna get the guy who can throw a boomerang. Mm. <laughs> no, you know, and, and that's maybe not, he's super accurate. <laughs> I mean, he only throws like one of them in the whole movie. Um, but even in the comics, because it's not set up with like a super high stakes mission. It's just like you were called because whatever you're getting a chance and in the comics because they have they're able to give more and more characters a chance to do things Mm -hmm. obviously it it works better but their first mission wasn't like save the entire world it was to stop this one thing from happening it it wasn't this super high priority mission um and had they approached it from that angle i think or lowered the stakes a little bit you would end up with a reason for inviting him or, or I don't know. Yeah, exactly. It's never like, oh, you know, you guys are like the greatest villain slash superhero force ever. It's like, oh, this is a mission that has a high rate of everybody dying, so we're going to send you on it. Like, they don't care about them. Yeah, and the movie never never has that tension. Yeah, because one of the things about the Suicide Squad is that anyone could die. After you had a couple issues, you you figured out who the main characters were. But... I think because we talked about the premise of it, when they first started the book, they didn't know who they were going to kill off. And I think the characters that are popular now, like like Deadshot and Captain Boomerang and stuff, they stuck around because um, they were popular enough that the editors made the decision, we can't kill these characters, they're your main characters now. Yeah. It's probably similar I mean, to... I think... Go ahead. I was just going to say, like, like Walking Dead, I think when they started, you had certain characters that were off limits, but other ones... I mean... Or Game of Thrones, maybe <laughs> a more apt example. Um, yeah. you, you have characters that nobody's safe, you know? 
I don't think there was ever any off off uh, off limits characters in Game of Thrones. Yeah, you know, but st- if you start with that premise and you deliver on it and you flip the coin method, yeah, I mean, who's gonna die today? So Dave and Jared, when you finally watch it, you'll know who's gonna die because they don't get an yeah. intro. They introduce him in like this really <laughs> short scene, and then <laughs> yeah, then they're like, they do something nope. first, and you're like, oh, yep, <laughs> yeah. It's almost like The Walking Dead of movies, where you know, you know who's gonna live and die. It's- yeah, and when they have a, the large group um, do a whole interview, they're always at the end. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, you you were saying, Dave? Oh no, I was just gonna say that. Even though now I feel like they have their main characters, they they didn't necessarily get there by just saying, okay, this person has to live. Like, they got there naturally. They didn't die for very specific reasons. Like, they were good at what they did, and it felt natural that way. Mm-hmm. And I think in that way you can't compare it to Game of Thrones. Like, people yeah. in Game of Thrones die because they make a mistake or something like that. And then you die. Like, there's nobody coming to save you. You don't just get saved just because, you know. Like Unless you you're John Snow. Actually, yeah, yeah, John yeah, Snow. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah don't, don't yeah, infuriate right. um, the internet with spoiling <laughs> stuffs. But you have to actually work at it. You don't just get to live just because. And then, yeah, the whole second half of the movie, like, plot-wise was, yeah. They started yeah. going into the stupid Marvel thing where you have a endless CGI army to battle mm-hmm. and then CGI world ending stuff at the end that I mean there's just no stakes you don't you don't care about it one of the big bads w- was just really bad looking CGI Yeah yeah it was just yeah. I don't know it was a bad villain and the way they were they were taken out and like the way that the not heroes, but heroes save the day. It was just kind of, it's kind of weak, honestly. Yeah, I mean, filmmakers. I feel like they rely so much on, they go to such lengths to make the movie accessible for the general audience, but then they rely so much on like, oh, this person is cool because we're telling you, he's the best pilot in the entire universe, Poe Dameron. Instead of like showing you what they're doing, you know, <laughs> but that shot, I guess you get that that opening scene. That shot, you get kind of two intros with him, but he's a key enough character. With these other characters, it's not like they're not redeemed by what they've done. They're redeemed by the reputation they have coming in to the movie. Like we haven't even talked about the Joker, but he's a I don't know, completely unnecessary, and they really re. I guess they've they cut a lot of his footage. Yeah, out. Jared Leto was pissed. <laughs> but the way they do have him in there, it's like it completely diminishes his what his character I think should be. You know? Yeah, I think they just used him to try to draw people in. Yeah, because he's he's one of the better known comic characters ever. So, but yeah, like yeah, that's what they're relying yeah, on. Yeah, and then some the people, people were in with pissed a, off that it's almost like false advertising, like how much he's in the trailers. And then he's in very little of the movie. And then the stuff in the trailers isn't even in the movie. So, um, I know. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think Suicide Squad at its core and, and what makes it, um, appealing and successful is the development of the characters. Not that they're still evil at the end of the day, but there's, 
there's complexities to that. There's different facets to that. And that's what makes it interesting. Or in the kind of spiritual follow-up with the Secret Six, which stems out of Villains United from Infinite Crisis, which is another excellent book and uses Deadshot again. And almost like the same type of premise. But anyways, all to say that it, it's the characters that really make the arcs interesting. Yeah. I mean, it does kind of ask that question, like, what makes a hero? Is it heroic acts or is it actually being a good person? So that's kind of some of the tension in there as well. Amanda Waller should just shoot everyone, man. Yeah, there's a mid-credit scene. It's kind of not needed. No, it's not needed at all because uh, they retried... They retried some stuff. All right, I'm going to spoil this scene because it really doesn't... You saw it in Justice League already. All right, so Bruce Wayne meets with Amanda Waller, and she hands him a file that has all the... where to find all the the known uh, superhumans. So I feel like this scene happened before he opened all the emails and <laughs> Justice. No, it was right. Wonder Woman opened the emails. Oh, okay. Dawn of Justice. Fine. <sighs> Man, okay. My my biggest problem with the characterization of, of Batman that they've had, like all his detective work has been someone handing him something <laughs> with all the information that he's looking for. World's yeah. greatest detective. But it's Ben hey, Affleck. Me- so obviously, it's okay. Uh, just saying. They haven't really nailed that aspect of Batman yet. I mean, just go through every movie, and it's somebody else doing all the work, like Lucius Fox, <laughs> mostly. Or even Alfred. In uh, the Nolan yeah. trilogy. Yeah. yeah. Or Alfred or Commissioner Gordon. Just pretty much everybody but Batman. They finally got the fighting down, though, in the last horrible movie. Yeah. So there's that. Not a glowing review. I don't know. So the one good, th- well, the one good thing about the movie oh, God. is it's better than BVS. <laughs> Nice. That's not saying oh, much. <laughs> I mean, the whole time I was thinking it, it, it could be so close, or it was so close to, because it has a, a bit of the feel. Yeah, I really want to see a know, David like, Ayer cut. I want to see uh, if yeah. it's like darker and. Uh, yeah, because there's a few folks who got to watch both of them or watch the earlier cut, and then watch the latest one. They're like, it sucks now, and it, it's just disappointing. I hope they do release that or, or do something because it's. Once again, Middle of America tastes have ruined everything. <sighs> oh <my God. laughs> White people. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I didn't say that. I mean, it's okay because the white person said it. Um, no, exactly. <laughs> so, the only white person. <laughs> no, as we briefly mentioned in, at the last podcast, Jeff Johns now being the the head of DC Entertainment, hopefully that gives him the freedom to make necessary control. That yeah, I think Wonder Woman will be the first film coming out that will that he can actually do something and kind of oversee how it's going. I mean, Wonder Woman's just going to be great because Gal Gadot is hot. <laughs> That's Kelsey. Like, no, that's that's why you're watching it. Oh, I'm sure. She, I'm sure she does. Yeah, Justice League looks pretty good, um, but it is Zack Snyder. Yeah, everything. I, it is. Well, yeah, I like 300. That yeah. was like 15 okay, years ago. That's he that's the reason why he's directing these movies now. Yeah, that's what everyone can say. He did this. Yeah, this yeah, one he years ago or whatever. <laughs> He also did Sacrifice. I, don't know, I think and... we all knew Suicide Squad was going to be terrible, though. Like, it wasn't like you went in. 
I, I was since the very beginning, the first trailer I, I saw, I'm like, this is going to be terrible. Like, go back and l- listen to our podcast eight months ago. Yeah, no, like I said, you always had those fears. It's gonna I be wanted it to be then. good because I was such a I fan wanted of it to be good, but and because as soon as was... they casted Deadpool, Will Smith as Deadpool, I'm like, this is gonna be shitty. Deadshot. Like, yeah, Deadshot. Or as Deadshot, I'm sorry, yeah. He'd be a that good totally Deadpool showed too. me they're just they're just they're trying um, to play it safe like pandering to people it's yeah for exactly. middle america it's just uh what will middle white class america go watch uh will smith's a good he's very like, safe and a charismatic <laughs> right it's a safe pick uh that that sounds great i think uh reason i'm excited about justice league is it does have some like no name actors actually you know i mean if if you're like a huge movie person, you pro- you know most of them, but they're not like household names at all. So hopefully they're relying a little bit more on their acting skills rather than their name recognition. Yeah. What Ben Affleck? What showed a picture of uh, Deathstroke today? Ooh. Yeah. What I would love to see in that Batman movie, and I would like flip out, but there's almost no way they would do this. But if you suddenly had like the whole Bat family just like come in. So Nightwing, Robin, yeah, and all that Catwoman, Batgirl, or even if it was it was one or two of them, you know, I would love to see Nightwing. In all honesty, everybody yeah. would. Yeah, I, or, I was really yeah, hoping that's... for Under the Red Hood as the solo Batman movie, but now that they they have Deathstroke, I don't think that's happening. But you know, or or like the Young Justice season two reveal when you think, oh, it's Robin, and then suddenly Nightwing is there. Like, how right. badass would that be if they just? You came in and watched like the Bat Family. Um, well, they, we already saw the Robin suit with, um, you know, Joker's yeah. spray paint all over it, and then I think Harley's Harley Quinn's card in Suicide Squad hinted at her helping the Joker kill one of the Robins. Yeah. Um, so I really, I really want Red Hood to show up in uh, the DC universe. I mean, I think they might. If they're really going to do this whole DC universe, I mean. Do you really have any confidence in the mail to pull off no, a DC they already, universe? No, they killed <laughs> off Jimmy, Jimmy Olsen in like two seconds. I have no confidence. <laughs> well, okay. I don't know. Because, okay, so, so Wonder Woman is d- directed by, it is a female director. I don't know if that means anything, but um, I know they're giving her, it, it feels like they are giving her creative control. And, and I hope it stays that way and they're not just, I hope they don't give it to a trailer editing <laughs> team to edit a movie you edit trailers because they're two minutes long not because they're two hours long and hopefully ben affleck can be the good ben affleck honestly even a, a mediocre or, or an average he just needs to be average he's a good director they need to let him yeah. have creative control like the wonder woman director has yeah. and then his, the batman movie will be fine Exactly. Like, they trusted Chris Nolan with Dark Knight, and, you know, he delivered. So just trust people you hire to do things, or you're going to end up with a huge mess, you know? But I, I don't know. Like, the DC Universe has so much stuff. Like, the Marvel is showing. They can pull all these, these two-bit characters, and because they have interesting stories, they're interesting characters, yeah. you know? And they just pair them with a throwaway villain, sure. Yeah. they. Re- I think recently announced this week... Um Justice League Dark Universe with a yeah. shadow pact or Justice League Dark characters. So, yeah, hopefully they can actually make that not Zack Snyder-ish. 
Yeah. Because, Jared, did you listen to the last podcast? I listened to, like, a part of it. Okay. Not the whole thing. Because one of the things I said, because we had talked about, you know, DC animated films are so good. Oh, yeah. And I was saying, For like, sure. if they would have started this DC Universe film franchise with, or film universe with Flashpoint, you know, people know Done who right. Beck... Yeah. Well, people know who Batman is. People know who the Joker is. And if you were to start the movie and it's like, holy shit, Batman's Thomas Wayne and the Joker's Martha. Um, <clears throat> Martha. <laughs> you know what I mean? But how, how like crazy w- would that have been to just be like, the term I couldn't remember last podcast was in media res, but, you know, jump into the, the middle of a story instead of let's build everything up. You can hit the ground running because people know or they have ideas about who these characters are. So you you come out of the gate and then just show them. If nobody knew, okay, people who didn't know who Deadpool was walked into that movie and in the first, through the credits in that first scene, knew exactly who Deadpool is. And then Mm -hmm. they give you all this backstory and stuff to make it an actual movie. And that part was actually not, whatever. They just need to make a good movie. Yeah, they really should just need to hire Joel Schumacher again to do another oh, God. superhero yes. movie. No, no, because so if, if Joel oh, Schumacher saw... had not crashed hard, we would never have gotten a Nolan movie. So we need Joel Schumacher to crash this universe hard, oh. and then we can get something great again. <laughs> Snyder's doing that already. Yeah. But who's, they're running out of, because I feel like they, they want to have a new character be like the the savior of their their film universe right now and they don't have they're still betting on batman but i don't know if they have anyone else to like take the reins of plastic man i saw on reddit a couple weeks ago it was like a shower thought and it was like i watch marvel movies wondering if this is finally going to be a bad one and i watch dc movies finally wondering if this is a good one and i feel like that's the exact until dc can do something right that's the mindset Pretty much everyone's gonna. Yeah, have. I think that's yep. why cr- critics are more harsher on uh, DC movies because. Uh... Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't think they're not all that terrible, but when you haven't had anything good in so long, and Marvel keeps on just like, it seems like they pick a superhero out of a hat and a you know a villain out of a hat and plug in their formula, and bam, you yeah. have a, you know, like it's seven and a half out of ten movie, and they make money. Yeah, and DC can take their top, you know top two franchises and in a bag and you get Batman versus Superman. No, it was their like, top three, man. Green Lantern, too. And they on that oh, yeah, for the, all the same reasons. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I'm cautiously optimistic with Jeff Johns, but, I mean, we know he can do comics. I think it's a totally different beast to translate well, that to he, film. A lot of the TV universe is um because of him. Yeah, and, and I... I like the TV universe. Like, I, I yeah, get it doesn't that, have the but, best writing, yeah. but it's a, it's a lot better than what's going on in the movies right now. And he has written episodes, even even back to Smallville. I think he wrote yep. episodes of that. Um, not that that was the <laughs> definitive moment. <laughs> that that was the highlight of the DC yeah. universe. So, uh, I, was, I think it's Young Justice right now, man. Oh well, yeah, but I mean, outside of the animated. No, I know. Enough enough hate, man. It's just... I mean, that's us. It should be like, out of hate games. I don't know. <laughs> gotta hate. Yeah. yeah. Gotta, gotta hate. Gotta, gotta hate. Gotta hate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Only if you say. Hey, stop putting out stuff and we'll stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we've been happy about stuff like Mad Max and oh, Mad God. Max. Yeah. We like Star Trek. Yep. And I don't even like Star Trek. So. <laughs> So, um, a correction from last episode. We actually forgot to mention it was the 50th anniversary of Star Trek this year. That's why there's so much Star Trek stuff happening. But, like, the day after we recorded, they did announce that Star Trek Discovery, at least that prototype ship they were showing, happened before the original series. Dude, that CGI was so bad. It was like I was watching DS9 graphics or something like that. (laughs) Oh, and Dean... The Dis- Discovery showrunner is the guy who does a uh, who did a uh, Hannibal. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah, so it could be really good. Yes, it could be. So, uh, what I hate about this is that uh, actually talk to Mike about this, and and I'll get him on a podcast. Um, on the way down to to Gen Con, one thing we were talking about is prequels, and are there any good prequels out there? Are there any necessary prequels out there? Any prequels that were, were better than, you know, the movies that, that came before? There's good prequels. I don't know if they're better mm-hmm. than the original, though. Because mm-hmm. when uh, the Spartacus actor was uh, ill and they didn't know if he was coming back, they did a prequel half season. Yeah, Gods and of the that was, that was good. It wasn't as good as the first season, but, I mean, it was decent. You know, and, and Mallrats is pretty good. Yeah, I, I'm just saying mm-hmm. it's it's technically a prequel, but you know I, I couldn't come up with much. I said Batman Begins, but that, that's more of a reboot, I think. Yeah, it's a reboot or a retcon. Oh, um, you know, X Men First Class, maybe. Yeah, not really necessary. Yeah, but that's also kind of a retcon or mm, a reboot. Yeah, and so my issue with this Star Trek taking place before the original series is like. Why? They've done it already. It's called Enterprise with Scott Bakula. Yeah. And <laughs> no, okay. No, <sighs> it's what I heard is it's not just one time period. It's like throughout the known oh, yeah. like all the series. So it, it starts before the original series, but it's gonna take place at key hmm. moments of the Trek universe. So they might skip like decades or whatever for each little story arc. It's okay, so it's called a seasonal anthology, which makes it sound like maybe True Detective, and that each season is a self-contained. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Story. I'm yeah. fine. I mean, I'm okay, I guess, with with side stories, in, in a sense, like what was going on in in different parts or examining different races during while things are happening. And actually, this the main character is not the captain of the ship; they're, I think, a first officer. Yeah. But still, I think. A prequel just sets you up for failure. So it's Brian Fuller, so it'll be like one season. And well, yeah, his cancel, take on Hannibal so. is amazing. <laughs> so right now I have full confidence in him. 
I mean, that's technically a prequel. Yeah, Hannibal that TV show. It it starts before the first uh, Red Dragon movie story. Yeah. All right, fine, fine. I guess Brian Fuller is the prequel yeah. guy. I don't know. I just feel like Star Trek is such a rich universe. You really had to go to like. I mean, your your effing tagline for your entire universe is explore new worlds, and you're gonna go back and try to establish what's already there. Yeah. I guess I just don't understand the reasoning, unless you have something really oh, interesting Brian to tell. Brian Fuller will show you. I guess. I mean, they weren't able to find that in all the episodes of Enterprise. And well, Brian Fuller, what he's he's written some, I want to say Next Gen and DS9 episodes, so he's he knows what he's doing. Yeah, I can't I can't praise Hannibal enough. Um, everybody. Especially people with young kids should watch Hannibal. No, I'm kidding. Um, don't ever let with their don't kids. ever let kids watch yeah. that show. It's really messed up. Um, it's beautiful, but really messed up. But yeah, he really knows how to delve into the psychological, the ethics questions, um, the more philosophical stuff. So yeah, I'm fine with him exploring whatever decade, whatever time period of Trek. Okay. Yep. And New Worlds. He wrote two episodes of DS9 and, and uh, 20 episodes of Voyager. Yeah, so he knows his truck. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going into it thinking it'll be bad. I just... No, I understand. I understand the reservations of uh, re- retreading, possible retreads or anything like that, yeah. So I, I think that's almost... I don't know. I did like that question. It's almost like a challenge. What what would be a good prequel? Young and what Dangerous, would make- the prequel. That was the best one. Or what are you trying to establish with it? It's almost like why prequels fail is that they fail to live up to the um, what you imagined the history of whatever you're watching would be. Right. I'm going to go to Star Wars just because it's like the biggest example out there. <laughs> but it's like all everything that you you thought about. Yeah. Uh, you no, know, not even to bash, but like it, it, it take any character. Yeah, when Ben Kenobi was talking about Darth Vader the Clone or, Wars, it sounded so cool. Mm-hmm. And then what we got was... Baby Boba Fett. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Get that out of here. <laughs> and you could say the Clone Wars TV show maybe is a su- successful one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The TV show is way better. Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, it's just something to think about. And uh, again, a challenge. It'd be interesting to explore that in some way and, uh, I don't know, make a good prequel. But hopefully Brian Fuller does it here. And I, I guess I'll have to check out Hannibal. Yes, it's amazing. Yeah, I know. I've I've been meaning to. It's just hard to be like, "Hey, honey, let's watch uh, Hannibal tonight." <laughs> it's fine. Anna's dinner. Anna's not even gonna pay attention, anyways. <laughs> no, she likes weird. She actually probably like it a lot. It's just yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's almost like getting. I need to get her to pay. Attention the cinematography the is mm-hmm. very creepy and also beautiful, and it might make you hungry sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we've been crooning um, a little longer today. It feels good. We haven't done it in a while. I know I've talked a lot. I'm sorry. But that's it for this week. Catch us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. Yeah, Out of Space Games. My name is Jay. My name is Sean. I'm David. I'm Jared. And I'm Dean. This is Out of Space Games. Catch you next time.